Hello, my name is John. I'm one of the pastors here at Newbridge and so glad to have you joining us online. You're welcome here. Uh, I hope that this sermon is helpful and is encouraging to you no matter what's going on in life or no matter where you're at in your spiritual journey. Uh, for now, enjoy this sermon. Again, hope that it's helpful and I hope to have the opportunity to meet you in person. Today, this isn't, this isn't new. You've, you've heard from Kevin before. Kevin has preached here before. He's, he's going to be an awesome part of this team, one that we can learn from. But Kevin Mondo uh, and his family are part of our church and he's the Associate Regional Director of Young Life, uh, a ministry that many of you are involved in. We, just, we love that ministry. We love what God is doing in the lives of teenagers throughout the area, um, as well as all those who are involved in serving but we've all been blessed each time that Kevin has been able to come and share with us, not only because of his gift of bringing God's word, but because what we also see in his life as he lives this out. And so I want to invite you to um, just give Kevin a warm welcome as he comes to share with us this morning. Thanks, John. Um, I am thankful to have another opportunity and really excited that we're going through the book of John. Um, I thought last week was so good. Um, Trisha shared, we're, we're in uh, John chapter 4, and Trisha shared about how Jesus uh, crossed through some barriers to have this interaction with the Samaritan woman at the well. And uh, in, that, in that interaction, he offered her living water. And he showed her that he knew her story. And her life was changed because of this, in fact, so much so that she had to go back to the town and tell everybody about it. And so the, where we're going to pick up today is, is where there's kind of a pause in this woman's story. And we get to see this interaction that Jesus has with the disciples. Uh, and then we're going to finish the woman's story as well. This interaction that Jesus has is... Seemingly kind of random. Uh, it, it's a unique conversation. We'll see that in a minute. Uh, but it's not random at all. In fact, it's actually really important. And we'll, of course, get into that. Uh, but first, I wanted to talk about fast food. Uh, I didn't grow up eating a lot of fast food uh, for a few different reasons. But, uh, you know, sometimes here and there. But then I got into high school and, you know, had a little more freedom. And I was in town with my friends and we grab some, some food sometimes. There's a couple of uh, situations in particular. One is uh, we love a good old-fashioned late-night Taco Bell run. Anybody? Late-night Taco Bell? Yeah, a few of those. Um, there was one time, I'll never forget, this is a little bit of an aside, but I've got to tell you. Uh, we were going, I was staying at Joey Swanson's house, and we were going, I think there were three of us in the car. I was driving and I was driving the car. My older brother usually drove. It was like a, let's say, 1987, maybe 85 Nissan pickup. Like the really little guy with the tiny little crew cap with the little sideways jump seat. You know what I'm talking about? And it had a big old lumber rack on it. And uh, it was black. And uh, my brother called it the Black Torpedo. I don't know why, but that was the name of this car. So uh, we're in the Black Torpedo. We're going to Taco Bell. And we pull up at a stoplight, and it's pretty late at night. We pull up at a stoplight, it turns red, and I hit the brakes, but we just sailed right through the intersection. The, the brake pedal went to the floor, and no brakes, turns out. So we just went. 
it, it was dead silent in the car, too. We were just like, what is happening right now? Very thankful there were no other cars coming. It could have been very bad, obviously. But we just sailed right through, so the brakes just decided to quit in that little Nissan pickup at that time. Uh, so we made it to Taco Bell, though, but I had to use the emergency brake, which in that truck at the time was one of these freak. You know what I'm talking about? It's this thing you pull. So every time we pull up to a land, and try to stop it. You know, so we got back to Joey's house and eventually we got the torpedo taken care of. Uh, the other one I remember is I played basketball at Capitol High School. I didn't play all the way through, but you know, I played for a couple of years. And uh, I remember we used to sometimes before games, after school, we'd walk over to Arby's. And we get our pregame meal at, at Arby's because you know, seems a good idea. And uh, but I do remember a few times while I was playing the game, just kind of feeling like oh. <laughs> and having that thought, like maybe Arby's before the basketball game is not the best idea. Um, wasn't exactly the best fuel that my body needed for peak physical performance. Maybe that's why I didn't play for four years. Um, but this idea of food fueling the body is this analogy that Jesus uses in this conversation. So this is where I want to pick it up in John chapter 4. John chapter 4, verse 31. Now again, uh, this the, he had had this interaction with the woman, and, and she was amazed, and she had to go tell folks in town. The, the folks in town were coming back to see Jesus, but then we have this, this interaction that Jesus has with the disciples. It says, meanwhile, his disciples urged him, they urged Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food you know nothing about. Then the disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? I love these little situations. Jesus just kind of loves to be a little bit cryptic sometimes and just kind of be a little tricky and mess, I don't know, mess with the disciples a little bit. He knows they're not going to understand what he's saying, but he says it this way anyway. I have food that you don't know anything about. And they're like, oh, seriously, wait, like, who brought you food? And, you know, how how this happen? Is it good? And, you know, they had already seen Jesus turn water into wine at the wedding banquet. Uh, they hadn't yet seen the feeding of the 5,000, but they knew Jesus had some tricks. They knew he could do some things, so maybe he just you know, made food appear. Jesus answers them. He says, my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. He's asking for one food. He's talking about a different kind of food. It's to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. So Jesus isn't talking about physical food. But what does he mean? I like to uh, look up the scripture in a few different translations to just kind of see how it says. So uh, a couple of different ones for this. In the New Living Translation, he says, my nourishment. Instead of saying my food, my nourishment. So this is what keeps me healthy in my life. Going old school with King James, he says, my meat. I like this one. Maybe it's because I really like meat. My meat. The thing that fills me, the thing that makes me strong, gives me protein. And the message translation is about as far away from King James as you can get. He says, the food that keeps me going, the food that keeps me going, what, 
what sustains me, what fuels me. So this is metaphor. Jesus is saying, this is, this is what fills me, gives me strength, makes me healthy, what fuels my life, what sustains me, is to do the will of God, the one who sent me. Maybe a little bit better than, than the fast food that I was trying to use. So this comment is both a callback to this interaction that he had had with the woman at the well when he offered her living water that would quench her soul like nothing else could. And Jesus used food and drink imagery a number of times uh, throughout the Gospels. In fact, just a couple chapters later in, in John 6, he will say, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And I could go on and on about this concept. Patricia did such a phenomenal job last week, but I'm not going to. So it's a callback to that idea, and it's also a bridge to what's going to happen next with this woman. We'll get there in a moment. But this idea of doing God's will or, or finishing his work, uh, what, is, what does this mean for Jesus? Another translation, they say, uh, instead of saying finishing God's work, it says uh, finishing the work that God has given me, or the work that God has started. Finishing the work that God has started. So what is the work that God has started? Now, we could do a deep dive into this, but we're, I'm just going to kind of touch on it here. Um, in short, the work that God has started is the redemption of all humankind. Um I'm guessing many of you have seen the movie Finding Nemo. Uh, if you have, you know, saw it as a kid, or if you've been raising kids anytime in the last 20 years, you, you probably saw this movie. Uh, at the beginning of the movie, it's about a, a, a fish and, and a little kid fish, and, and the dad and, and the kid Nemo they go on a field trip and they go to this drop off. They're not supposed to swim off the drop off. But Nemo decides to be a little risky, and he goes off the drop off. Yeah, and comes back, and his dad shows up. He's like, Nemo, what are you doing? Get back here. You can't go off the drop off. And he's like, oh. He's already kind of mad at his dad. So he goes a little farther, and, and you know, and then he goes, there's a boat up at the surface, and he's going up to the boat. Of course, they don't know the proper term for boat, so he's going, I'm going to touch the boat. So he goes up there, and he goes up, and he touches the boat. And then when he touches the boat, he gets scooped up by a diver and taken. The boat takes off. What I what I love about this scene is that as soon as soon as the son is taken, the father chases after him. Even though he was upset with his son for disobeying him, for going off where he wasn't supposed to, as soon as Nemo is taken, his dad chases after him. The entire movie is him chasing after his son until he gets his son. This is a snapshot of the work that God has started. You see, uh, in the Bible, this is the story of the Bible. The, the, this part right here, we'll get to it. This part right here is about the creation of the world, uh, the earth, and the the, uh, the stars, and the sea, and animals, and humankind. And, and it's a, a picture of the way that it was intended to be. A beautiful, healthy relationship where everything is right. And there's no pain and no heartache. 
And then this part of the Bible is the story of the fall of humankind, where they thought, we could probably do this better in our own way. Enter pain and destruction and division and brokenness. And this part of the Bible is the story of God chasing after his people to get him back. For their redemption and for their restoration, the way that it can be in our lives. This is the work that God has started and been doing for a long, long time. So what is the role that Jesus plays in that work? Again, it's been a long time talking about this, but briefly, there's a couple scriptures. Jesus said in Mark chapter 10 that I didn't come to be served, but to serve. You see, the Jewish people were expecting a, a, a savior that would be like a, a, politi a political savior, something that would lead the rebellion against the, the Roman oppression that they were living in. But Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. I came to help people, to love people, to support them, and to give my life as a ransom. Jesus knew that he came to die. He was going to go to the cross so that we could be forgiven and so that we could have hope for a new life. In Luke chapter 4, um, Jesus is in the synagogue and he opens up the scroll of Isaiah, uh, a prophet from hundreds of years before. And he reads this. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled it up and he put it away and he said, Today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your ear. He's saying, This is me. I have come for these things to spread the good news to those who are desperate, to give hope to the hopeless, to bring the kingdom of God to earth now. This is the role that Jesus plays in God's work. And he says that when he lives into that calling, when he lives into that purpose, that he is fulfilled, that he is fueled, that he is fully alive. This is what he's saying. And he says, this is my food. This is my meat. Something I think that we can learn from this is that the key to gaining life is giving it away. The key for us to gain life is to give it away. See, a lot of people are asking these questions. What can fill the emptiness in my life? How can I have purpose? How can I be a part of something that matters? How can my life matter? Well, if we want to follow Jesus, he said, we gain life by giving it away, by serving, by being a part of what God is doing. One of the things that we do at, at Young Life Camp is that um, it takes a lot of people to, to run and facilitate a camp, and so we have a lot of, we have some paid staff, and then we have a lot of volunteers. And there's a, there's a work crew made up, made up of high school students that come for three to four weeks at a time for a session during the summer, and they're serving 
hard, long hours. Uh, they're washing dishes. They're preparing food. They're serving in the dining hall. They're doing housekeeping. They're washing toilets. Uh, they're mowing lawns. They're doing landscaping, all sorts of different types of things. And they're doing it for free. They're volunteering for three or four weeks at a time. I remember being at camp years ago as a work group boss. I was helping lead this group of students. And, and towards the end of the session, I was sitting down with one of the boys and just kind of reflecting on what this experience was like. He's like, man, gosh, this month has been so hard and worked so hard. And, you know, it's been exhausting and this and that. God, it's been the best month of my life. I said, really? Said, yeah. You know, I just, all I've been doing is serving and giving my life away. And he goes, maybe when I go back home, if I try to find ways to continue to serve and to help people, that'll make my life better back home. Yeah, that, what, what you said, do that. The light bulb went on, he realized that he had gained so much life by giving it away. In Luke uh, chapter 9, Jesus said it this way, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. It's counterintuitive. It's very countercultural. It's not about self-promotion or trying to make a name for myself, but when I focus on serving and building up and caring about others and surrendering my life up to God and giving it away, that's when I gain it. So what is God's will for us? What is God's work for us? I want to take those kind of separately because Jesus mentions in both. He says, doing the will of the one who sent me and finishing it. What is God's will? You know, a lot of us may have been in situations at some point where you're trying to discern. You're trying to make a decision or discern a direction for your life. And so you're wondering, what is God's will for me? What does he want me to do? And we stress about it. I don't want to mess it up. I don't want to go the wrong way. I wish I could just hear God say, this way. It doesn't happen that often. I remember having a conversation years ago. I think I was in college, and I was talking to one of my in-life leaders, John. And uh, I was in a place like this. I don't remember what it was. Maybe I was trying to figure out, you know, which major to have in college or what I was going to do with my life. And I was like, oh, I want to know what God's will for me is. And, and he presented this idea. You know, I'm looking at all these doors, trying to decide which one's the right one, the one that God's want, God wants me to choose. And he said, have you ever thought about that there might be multiple open doors? No. There's probably just one, right? Except maybe it's less about which way you go, and it's more about your heart. And it's more about trusting Jesus and surrendering your life to him as you go. And believing that as you go, if you're seeking him, and you're, you're continually uh, lifting up your life to him, that he'll let you know. Like, honestly, that, that idea has come up in my mind over and over again over the years. Jesus said in John 6, he said, For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. So he said, he's talking about God's will. My Father's will is this, is that everyone will look to me. 
and have life. Believe in me and have life. So it's more about what we experience as we believe and trust in Jesus, the hope that he gives us. It's not as complicated as we make it out to be, but there's this one way, this one thing we're supposed to do. Now, I'm not saying there aren't situations where there is a particular, you know, specific leading that God has for us, for sure. But the baseline, God's will, is believe in him and trust in him wherever you go. So then there's this idea of God's work. What does it look like for me to do God's work? Which again is the redemption of humanity. God chasing after us. There's a couple really key parts in scripture where I really like to have things simplified for me. I'm a simple guy, so I like it when, uh, like in this instance in, in Mark chapter 12, when uh, one of the religious leaders came to Jesus and he said, hey, what's the most important commandment? See, the Jewish people had hundreds of commandments and, and religious laws. They were trying to follow to do everything right. And they say, Jesus, can you just help us out? Like, what is the most important one? So he says, he said, yeah, the most important one is this, is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. To love God with everything that you have. It says, and also to love your neighbor as yourself. To love people. And he's saying, not, don't just say you love people, but you really don't. Really love people. So that's referred to as the greatest commandment. Then there's the great commission. And this is these, these were the last words that Jesus had for his disciples in Matthew. 28 before he ascended to heaven. He said, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them everything that I have commanded you. So he sends them out. He says, I want you to go and make disciples. I want you to help people understand my love and know what it means to trust in me and teach them how to follow me. So when I think about God's work that I can be a part of, it's, it's the great commandment and it's the great commission. It's keep doing the stuff that Jesus was doing, that he was about. Sharing love, sharing the good news for people who need it and who need it now. Helping people experiencing the freedom, the hope that comes in Jesus. This is the work that he started and it's the work that we Get to continue. Because we're compelled as our lives have been changed and transformed by the love of Jesus. This is not a, a working for God's approval or working for God's love, but it's it's coming out of God's love. It's coming from God's love that we've experienced. And Jesus is saying God's work is satisfying when we are a part of what He is doing in the world. Jesus both fills and fulfills us. See, Jesus fills us up with his love and his hope, but we need to know that we are known and that our lives are valuable. And then he also fulfills this yearning that we have for meaning and for purpose in the world. He can help us to be spiritually, mentally, and emotionally healthy, to be secure with who we are, to be content in our lives, to be motivated 
to get out of bed, to be a part of something meaningful, to be full of joy and hope, to have peace. Doesn't this sound like a good life? I don't know. I think people hunger for a lot of things or look to a lot of different types of things to kind of be fulfilled, to have strength, to be healthy, to, to be fueled, to be motivated, to kind of recharge the batteries. Whether it's sleep or exercise, think about kind of being recharged physically, or, or maybe it's this desire to, to laugh or to be with certain people kind of fills us up. Maybe it's a financial incentive that, that folks might need to kind of be motivated. Um, my wife, Becca, is a first grade teacher, and uh, she sometimes when it's coming up to the weekend or a break, she'll talk to her class about, hey, what are you guys looking forward to? What are you going to do this weekend? What are you looking forward to over spring break or whatever? And, and uh, so they'll say their funny little things, and then um, sometimes Becca will mention something like, yeah, I'm looking forward to just drinking coffee on my couch, you know, and just kind of having a slow morning or something like that. So one time, uh, I don't know, was it for Christmas or something? Uh, one of the boys in her class um, brought a gift for her, and it was a Starbucks gift card. He said, this is so you can drink coffee on your couch. <laughs> so sweet. So all these different types of things that people look forward to or, or or hunger for to to kind of be filled up. They're, they're good things. They're, uh, they're not bad in themselves. And uh, there's a lot of other good things we can do. And there's some bad things we can do as well. But none of these things will satisfy what we're longing for. So Jesus is saying is that the food, that the fuel that you really need is to be, uh, to be about the things of God. Because only that would be deeply satisfying. So I'm not sure what that looks like for each one of you today. It might be finding a, a local or a global cause that you really believe in and want to get involved. It strikes a chord with you. It might be recognizing that you have some coworkers that um, you just have a burden for. You really want to make sure that they uh, feel cared about, feel seen, feel known. So you want to be extra intentional with that. Might be getting involved with serving some way here at church. There's lots of opportunities to do that in meaningful ways. Or it might be just feeling like you want to be more intentional to connect with a certain family member and spend time with them. Not sure. But the question to reflect on for this is what does it look like for me to help finish the work that God has started? The work that he's already doing, how can I be a part of that in my life? So now we'll come back to our passage here, picking it up in verse 33. Jesus continues, so he said, my will is to, to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And then he continues, he says, don't you have a saying that's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. 
He starts out by saying, hey, don't you have this thing, it's still four months till harvest, it's this thing that people would say is kind of a way of procrastination. Like, oh, we don't need to get to that now, it's still, that's months away, we don't have to deal with it. And Jesus uses that to express, no, no, the harvest is right now. You guys, we got to go now. He uses this, this imagery of, of the harvest when he's talking about inviting people to follow him. And it can feel a little bit weird, maybe a little bit transactional. Uh, but the point that he's trying to get across is that God wants to use us to bring people to him. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he talks about how we've been given the message and the ministry of reconciliation. That we get to go out and help reconcile people to God. That so if we are ambassadors for him, imploring, be reconciled to God. So Matthew 9, he uses this uh, harvest language as well. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. He's calling us to the fields. He's calling me, and he's calling you to the fields to be a part of what he's doing there. This is him elaborating on what it might look like for us to be a part of his work, what our food might be like. God is already working. He, he mentions this part about, uh, I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits. See, he has been sowing. God is already working in the lives of people, and then we get to we get to reap the harvest. We get to help try to try to invite people to experience the thing that, that God's already kind of stirring up this, this hunger and this, this desire for in their lives. You see, we as much as we care about people and want them to have the hope of Jesus, he cares far more than we do, and he has gone before us. A friend of mine likes to say that the Holy Spirit is the only true evangelist. It's the only one who can really change someone's heart. It's not about our efforts, but we get to join what the, what the Spirit is already doing in somebody's life. One thing that I think is really true is that people are more ready for the gospel than we think. A lot of times we're held back because we just think, oh, this would be really uncomfortable or inappropriate or, or might just totally get shot down. But I think God is working and people are more ready for the gospel than we think. So then Jesus is, is having this little interaction with his, his disciples, and, uh, and he's explaining that this woman who he had encountered and offered living water is a great example of this. Because as soon as she uh, experiences for herself, she had to go tell others. In fact, um, in church history, this woman is known as the first evangelist, the first one to receive the good news, then to go spread it, to share it. With others. So now we're going to pick up and see what happens with her and, and the rest of the folks in the town. In verse 39, said, Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him, believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So the woman, or, or so when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. Because of his words, many more became believers. I'm going to pause there. Many more became believers. 
Um, when I first started working with Young Life and, and uh, the first uh, seminary course I took uh, was taught by a man named Frederick Dale Green. Um, and he was a special dude. He's an older guy who uh, is a New Testament theologian, and he taught through, through the book of John on the life of Christ. And a couple things I remember sitting under uh, under his teaching that were amazing. One is that he stood up, and as he started to teach through the book of John, he started in John chapter 1, and he said, okay, let's go through the scripture. And then he just started saying, you know, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. He just started saying the scripture instead of reading it. I'm like, what? what's going on? Oh, he has the entire book of John memorized. That's cool and different than me. <laughs> I, I, and I was, I was so early and young in my family. I had never seen anything like that before. And then we were trying to follow along with what he was saying. We're going, let's have a different translation. Is he, is he here? Is he, oh, he's translating it from the Greek. He has his own translation that he has created. He's consulted with all the other translations, but he's saying this is the, what I believe to be the most accurate translation. It's, it's on another level. Um, he would say that he is not gifted for, for ministry, but his gift is in study and in you know, teaching and, and equipping ministers. In fact, I remember him saying that uh, his spiritual gift is an iron butt because I can sit and read all day long. I'm thankful for that iron butt because he's taught me a lot over the years. And then he wrote a commentary on the book of John. This is what I'm getting to. He wrote a commentary on the book of John that's like this. And he wrote one on Matthew that's two volumes of this. Um, so it's a lot, but it's so, so good. And so I was reading some of that. I know Pastor John has been reading some of that as well as we're going through the book of John. Bruner makes a comment about this woman, and he said that the woman became a fountain gushing of water. She was filled with the living water, and then she became a fountain gushing with water as she went, and she couldn't hold it in. She was uh, Jesus was flowing, overflowing naturally out of her because she, she couldn't contain it. Bruner also makes a comment that the message that she gave to the people in town wasn't that good. It wasn't a great sermon, right? If we, if we go back to, this is part of the passage from last week, this is what she said. She said, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? So Bruner's commenting, you know, she said, just come, this is, come see a man, just a mere man. Um, he told me everything I ever did. Wait, he did this magic trick. It was crazy. Maybe he'll do a magic trick for you. That's not really the idea. It was very self-focused. He did this for me. And, he, and she ends with this doubtful question. Could this be the Messiah? So Brunner's kind of picking out a little bit and, and making light. But then also, the point is, it was extremely effective. So she didn't do a great job putting together a polished message, yet extremely powerful and effective. We'll get to that, maybe why, in a minute. It says, oh, and then I'll finish here in verse 42. So they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves after they came and sat with Jesus. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. 
Many more believe in Jesus because of this woman's message, because of her sharing her encounter and her experience with him. They came and saw for themselves, and they experienced what she was talking about. It was because of what she shared, she had experienced, that they were hooked, and then they came and saw for themselves. Here's a point that I hope we can all rally around. God is writing your story for others to read. God is writing your story for others to read. He plans to use you and your story to spread to, to spread His love to others. So we don't have to stress when I think about this idea of, oh no, God wants me to like help share the gospel, and I don't know how to do that. We don't have to stress about it. We can just be honest and real and share about what Jesus has done in our lives. And God will use it just like He did. The woman. All we have to do is invite people to come and see for themselves. Come and see. We don't have to try to convince people. We don't have to try to tell them that, that they're bad or that they're wrong or the way that they live or what the way they're doing things is, is not right. We don't have to convince people of those things, but instead just develop a, a curiosity because of what they see in our lives. And help them see that there, there might be a hope that they're missing out on. And then when they come and see for themselves, God is the one who changes their heart and their lives. Many of us, including myself, were initially invited by somebody to come and see. And that was the beginning of my story with Jesus. There's so much power in personal testimony. Again, this woman was not eloquent. But what she showed was human evidence, real life evidence of Jesus being the Messiah. This living water that she was offered and received. It makes me think of in John chapter 9, there was a, a, a man who was blind from birth, and Jesus heals him, he gives him sight. And then afterwards, people are kind of freaking out going, Oh, wait, what just happened? And who did this? And how come? And the religious leaders were trying to pinpoint and identify and accuse Jesus of doing things he wasn't supposed to. So they questioned the man, what happened? Who was this? And the man just simply says, look, I, I don't really know. I don't understand what happened here, but what I know is that I was blind, and now I can see. I was blind, and now I can see. This man and this woman they weren't ready to share the gospel. They hadn't been to seminary. They hadn't maybe spent any time in church. They hadn't been a part of a small group. They hadn't been discipled. They probably hadn't read the Bible on their own. And I hope they do those things. That's all good, but they hadn't yet. But what they had was their story. And you and I, wherever we are, we may not feel ready or qualified or equipped, but you have your story. In Psalm 107, verse 2, it says, Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their stories. If you've tasted, if you've, if you've experienced at all redemption in your life because of Jesus, then you have a story to tell. 
How many of you have been impacted by somebody else sharing their story? I know I have many, many times. Many of us have, yet we're still hesitant to do that for others. Every story, every story in this room is powerful. Whether you have a drastic conversion experience or you have a story, it's more like a gradual journey. It's powerful. We've all had moments in our lives or, or situations or experiences, times of, times of growth or times of challenge that we've learned from, that we've grown closer to God through. We can share that. For me, it would, it's talking about how I didn't grow up in church, but I was invited to Young Life in high school, and, and I started to learn things I had never heard about before, and then I got invited to go to summer camp at Malibu Club, and there I gave my life to Jesus. For my wife, it's a story how she's known Jesus as ever since she was a little girl. And then she lost her mom when she was young. And it changed everything for her. And eventually she had to learn how to turn to God for comfort. And to trust him with her, her life. For you it might be something like that. Or it might be just this. There was a point where somebody cared about you in your life. It was different than what you had experienced before. And, and it was intriguing. And it made you seek out this love that God had for you. Maybe God met you in your loneliness, or maybe God has healed wounds in your life. I don't know what your story is, but you do, and you can share it. You can tell your story. It's not always the right time. It's not always the right place, but there is a right place, and there is a right time to share your story. Another thing that we often do at Young Life Camp is called cardboard stories or cardboard testimonies. You may have seen this before. It's not unique to, to Young Life, but it's just somebody writing a few words on one side of a cardboard, kind of saying, this is what life was like before I had a relationship with Jesus. Then you flip it over, showing this is what God has done in my life, life with Jesus. And so at camp, we'll often have uh, the, the leaders who are there with students uh, share these cardboard. So they come out one at a time and they show one side and they show the other and then they, they kind of line up on the stage at the end. Um, and it's this beautiful snapshot of all these just kind of brief uh, chances of people telling their story of what God has done in their life. Afterwards, Afterwards, this part just breaks my heart. It also gives me incredible hope because what you see, and this is hard. <laughs> what you see is you see students lining up to talk to the people. And some of them just want to say thank you. Um, but as you see the stories that were shared, and it may be stories of eating disorders or um, depression or suicidal thoughts or, um, you know, losing somebody in their lives or parents' divorce or um, 
alcohol or drugs or, or insecurity. You see all these, these stories represented and, and the students line up and they wanna, they wanna talk to them and you just know. You just know that students are identifying with those things. And it's heartbreaking to see that. But it also gives me tremendous hope to know that they're seeing something that God has redeemed in their lives that he might be able to do that for me. People need hope. And we want them to see if Jesus can do that in your life, he might be able to do that in mine. God is writing your story and he's doing it for you because he loves you and he wants what best, what's best for you. But he's also doing it so other people can see and can read your story because he wants what's best for them as well. So the question to reflect on here is what are the opportunities in my life to share my story? I want to invite the band up and end with this, this last idea. That God wants it to take us from being a well to a fountain gushing with living water. From a well to a fountain gushing with living water. One that overflows, just like this woman in the account. See, as we experience the living water of Jesus Christ, I pray that we uh, that He quenches the the thirst, the needs, the longings that we have, and that just like a well, we can we can hold that, and it's for us, and it's a well that never runs dry. But then from there, God wants to, to take us from just being a well that holds the living water to a fountain that is, that is sharing that living water with others. We can't contain it just for ourselves. But we need to give it away and that the people around us will experience life because of it. God's love coming in. God's love gushing out. Jesus says that when we experience this, when we experience life as being a, a fountain, when we're used by him, that we are nourished, we are strengthened, we are fueled. It's like we're living like we've never felt before, and we'll never want to go back. During the song, uh, you have a chance to grab the communion elements. They're spread throughout the room. And uh, you can take it back to your seat and hold on to it. We'll take those together. This is a, an opportunity to receive and remember the living water that he has given us.